listening to the Retail Razor Show, where your expert hosts and their guests cut through the clutter in retail and retail tech to shape the future of retail. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, whatever time of day you're listening. Welcome, welcome to Season 1, Episode 11 of the Retail Razor Show. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar, two years in a row, Rethink Retail, top retail influencer and lead partner marketing advisor for retail and consumer goods at Microsoft. And I'm your co-host, Casey Golden, CEO of LuxLock. I've been obsessed with the relationship between the brand and the consumer. The experience is everything. I spent my career on the fashion and supply chain side of the business. Now I'm slaying Frankenstats to power the future of commerce. So Casey, we are back to another Clubhouse session. This time, the topic was loyalty understanding and building customer loyalty, both with and without loyalty programs. In keeping with our recent themes on innovation and leadership, our Retail Avengers crew brought in not one, but two leading experts on the subject of loyalty to really dive into how loyalty needs to transform in the industry. This was another really killer clubhouse discussion. I'm a retention girl, so <laughs> really building that loyalty. And you're right, it, it was so big, we had to bring in two guests. First, we had co-founder of Loyalty360, a cutting-edge association for research, best practices, and networking opportunities for loyalty practitioners. And now, the global SVP of revenue for Amex Cloud, Aaron Race. And second, we had Alicia Esposito, VP of content for Retail Touchpoints, and a Rethink Retail top retail influencer as well. This one really dials it up for a few notches as we cover a lot of ground in the loyalty space. Yeah, 100%. And loyalty is a tricky topic going from you know, how to make your best customers become loyal customers that are also advocates of your brand, not just loyal shoppers, to having free versus paid loyalty programs to grow your brand, to consumer relationships. And coming out of the pandemic, this field is really changing. Lifetime customer value is something every brand and retailer has to look at now as part of the growth plans. And you have to build more loyal customers if you want to see that metric go up. Yeah. Spoiler alert. You'd be surprised how dramatically loyalty has changed for consumers since the start of this pandemic and how that has impacted how retailers and brands use the customer data that they have. I've seen a rise in the paid memberships, like you mentioned, for loyalty program pricing, personal services as a tier that's being productized that we used to kind of just keep secret. I think it's 80, 86% of adults belong to at least one loyalty program, but managing multiple is increasingly difficult. It has to be more about price with Honey providing that instant cashback or coupon codes. So grab your notebooks. This is gonna be a great discussion to really start getting the, the wheels turning on how to drive this and create the value because emotion is still a very important factor to driving loyalty. And that doesn't even consider how new technology is going to change loyalty even more going forward. Yeah, that is so true. So I remember like 75% of U.S. consumers reported new shopping behaviors since the pandemic started. And 50% of consumers globally saying they switched brands during the pandemic. This is definitely one of our more meaty topics for discussion. So let's not keep our listeners waiting. We'll be back here to layer on a few game-changing ideas for loyalty that we didn't have time for in the Clubhouse session. But first, let's give a listen to the Retail Avengers and the Legions of Loyalty. And welcome everyone to the Retail Razor Room. We're back today with a couple of special guests that we'll introduce in a few moments. Our topic today is the future of loyalty. And let's get started with some introductions. I'll kick that off on Ricardo Belmar. I started the Retail Razor Club here in Clubhouse. I've been in retail tech for the better part of the last two decades, working for managed service providers, technology provider. Most recently joined Microsoft as a senior partner marketing advisor for retail. I've also done some advisory work for other retail tech startups in the past. So I've got a lot of fun experiences helping retailers implement technology and digital transformation. I'm going to move through the list here, starting with one of our special guests this week, Aaron Rees. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. This is Aaron Rees. Thank you so much for having me for a couple of decades now on the vendor side, selling different technologies and services. And then back in 2008, I co-founded an organization called Loyalty 360. And the whole idea was to bring people together around the concept of loyalty, not necessarily programmatic loyalty, but the, the concept of, hey, we all need long, loyal, profitable customers in order to succeed. So I'm excited to be here and 
learn from you all. Great. Thanks, Aaron. We're really pleased to have you here this week. Jeff. Jeff Roster, former Gartner and IHL retail sector analyst, now co-host of This Week in Innovation. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Shish. Good afternoon, Shish. I'm part of Microsoft for Startups and the Retail League, and I'm creating a portfolio of retail tech startups. Been in Microsoft for 24 years, working primarily retail consumer goods with a focus on AI and IoT. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Shish. Brandon. Thanks, Ricardo. Great to be back after the hiatus. Uh, Brandon Rail. I've been in around the retail consumer sector my entire career. Having worked for some Fortune 100 retailers directly in their merchandising and planning and fashion teams. And now I've migrated over to the business transformation and digital transformation side to help drive outstanding customer experiences and, and revenue growth. Thanks again. Thanks, Brandon. Casey. Hi, I'm Casey Golden. I'm the founder of LuxLock, a retail experience platform. We mobilize a digital workforce and allow everybody to shop live with a stylist online. All about the luxury experiences on my end. Bridged all the enterprise software and had about every single job in a fashion house. So happy to be here as always. Thank you so much. Thanks, Casey. Trevor. Hey, everybody. I'm Trevor Sumner. I'm the CEO of Perch. Perch is interactive digital engagement platform in store. So you can think of it as digital signage, although digital signage is terrible. What's great about what we do is we use computer vision to automatically detect that click stream about what actually happens in the shelf and the types of content and promotions that actually change cut shopper behavior at the shelf, including loyalty. So excited to talk about this topic today. All right. Thanks, Trevor. And last but not least, another special guest, Alicia. Hello, everyone. I'm Alicia Esposito. I'm the director of content and new media for Retail Touchpoints. We're a online media network and producer of retail events. Customer loyalty has been a very big topic of coverage for us over the past few weeks. We actually did some new research around it. So I'm excited to dig into some of the trends, hear what other folks are hearing, and of course, get them some new trends and best practices. Thanks for having me. Great. Thanks, everyone. Thanks to all our speakers. Our topic this week, again, we're going to talk about the future of loyalty and retail and loyalty programs. A good place for us to start is with some interesting stats around loyalty and where things are today. In fact, during the height of the pandemic, we see numbers on the lines of 50% or more consumers saying that they switched brands or considered switching brands throughout the pandemic most likely given to stock out considerations and they couldn't find their favorite brand. But in my mind, it's fair to say that one of the major issues going forward is that brand loyalty that consumers have shown in the past may be up for grabs again in the sense that uh, there's been more of a willingness now to try new brands and recognize that you don't always have to have that brand loyalty. And of course, this may vary by age demographics and other factors, but I think that's something to consider. Other points that I have found noteworthy is stats like 75% of consumers saying they have new shopping behaviors. You know, a lot of that also is going to impact their expression of brand loyalty. And then I know of recent studies have shown retailers reporting that when they have fee-based loyalty programs, whether we're talking to extreme versions like an Amazon Prime or Walmart Plus or CVS's CarePass, those loyalty members are worth as much as 4X or more in terms of lifetime customer value to the retailer as compared to non-members. So definitely some incentives there for that. I'd like to kick things off. And Alicia, I'm going to go to you first, because I know you've got some interesting studies that you guys have recently published, what retailers are saying about their loyalty programs. So I thought you might have some interesting facts to share with us. Yeah, absolutely. And we actually just published a benchmark survey, essentially covering some new realities around customer acquisition, some of the issues or challenges that retailers faced in terms of customer retention. So kind of looking for those new opportunities, but most importantly, the gaps that retailers have seen over the past year. And there's a really interesting juxtaposition that we saw. So from an acquisition standpoint, obviously digital was huge for them. 58% that they gained new e-commerce customers over the past 18 months. So they invested more in those digital engagement and digital acquisition tools, which I think kind of is in line with what the broader industry has been saying. But what I thought was interesting for loyalty programs specifically is that we actually saw a bit of a year over year shift when we were looking at total revenue generated by loyalty program members, which 
there's always that benchmark data point around how more loyal customers buy more frequently, they have higher basket sizes, et cetera. So in 2020, 22% of retailers said 50% or more of revenue came from loyalty program members. In 2021, that dropped to 8%. So I think it kind of speaks to your point, Ricardo, around that brand switching that took place over the course of the pandemic. And our findings also point to out of stock and overall supply chain and delivery issues being that big pain point from a retention perspective. So even though they get that acquisition, there's kind of a bit of a gap, right? And being able to fulfill that brand promise. Looking a bit more closely into those loyalty programs specifically, we saw general loyalty programs, Pretty much status quo in terms of the benefits, you know, purchase discounts and points were the top two tactics, but some really interesting movement in the way of premium loyalty program. So I'm not sure if we're going to be getting into that a little bit later, but we saw things like free gifts with purchase being widely implemented, but sadly not as much movement in the more high value, in my opinion, offerings such as services, you know, guided selling, that those richer engagements that I think really have a true impact. So I know I just kind of jammed a lot out there, but uh, really, really interesting time. Like you said, those shifts that took place over the past 18 months in the way of brand loyalty and changing brands, but definitely a lot of opportunity, I think, moving forward. Well, thanks, Alicia. A lot of good data points to unpack there. I, I want to ask Aaron, what your thoughts are on that and how that may or may not maybe be in sync with the uh, other factors that you may be seeing. Thank you. Yeah, we are, we're seeing some of the same things. I mean, certainly the, the supply chain has affected so many people and left a lot of brands reeling a bit. And where we're coaching our clients, it was through the whole thing, make sure you're utilizing your loyalty initiatives and staying connected to those customers. Because if they did have to leave for whatever reason, you have that as a tool to bring them back. And on the premium side, we see premium, but we typically will guide toward really why do you want to do it and perhaps using it more surgically than as a blanket, because it may make sense for a particular segment of your audience, but not all. And then I guess the third with retail in particular, especially when we're looking forward, the discounts obviously ha have been out there for a long time and are associated more with loyalty programs and such. And talking more and more to people and they seem to really be grasping this, I think also because of the third party data going away. How do I get more of that data and how do I use that data to build my relationships and and try trying to get away from the discounts? I think everybody's realizing that so much counting has obviously hurt the bottom line and there's fatigue. And so can I turn this around and build more stronger emotional bonds with my customers. And by doing that, can I begin to raise the price a little bit? And can I provide a value that's different? So with that, let's talk a little more about tactics in loyalty programs in terms of there's always a lot of discussion of what consumers say they want and loyalty versus what retailers either think consumers want or what the benefits the retailer wants to see from the loyalty program. So I'll open this up to everybody on the panel. I have some thoughts here, but I'll, I'll let everybody else jump in here. I mean, what do you think are tactics you, you don't see enough of today, but feel we should see more of them tomorrow, just based on the history of loyalty programs and what you feel works or doesn't work? So one thing that's interesting in balancing these competing desires and goals, you mentioned CVS and CarePass. You know, one of the things I, I do think that value is, is the key thing to a loyalty program. And you know, especially in a broad range of segments, not at a, you know, a, a Gucci or Chanel or Macy's necessarily, but definitely at the, at the grocery store or, or CVS. And one of the big ways that you can continue to do that is by promoting private labels. So CVS CarePass, which you mentioned, it gives you a 20% discount, 20% discount on private label products, right? And I think loyalty increasingly will be adapted to promote private label products because that is a tactic being used by all retailers to capture more margin, which also gives them the ability to offer better discounts. And one of the things that we're seeing in, in a push to private label is I was talking to a supplement provider who has a very large retail partnership. And one of the things they talk about is, yes, that first sale happens at the retailer, but the refill happens usually off the side of the retailer, right? So 
if you own the private label, you can own the full lifecycle value of the client, which is why private label and loyalty become so entwined in private label that I think you're going to see a lot more of that tied together. Great points. Trevor, I might jump in here. Uh, I think we've seen that movement to that direct consumer model, especially for instance, Nike, who are taking ownership of the brand, ownership of the experience, ownership of that personalization imperative to to drive what the experiences the customers are looking for, to gather the only the insights and to really offer things that the customers want based on their preferences and the behaviors. So that private label proposition is a big one. And also think the direct consumer model is is an open open landscape for brands to engage and to provide great experiences to customers. It's an interesting point as far as how private label can be intertwined with loyalty, given that we know what consumers really expect to be rewarded for a loyalty program. So what better way from the retailer's point of view than to offer that reward on a private label, where presumably if they've done the private label correctly, there's more margin, there's more room to offer a discount. I always find it interesting in a lot of studies that get published about this, that the expectation is consumers want number one discounts, better pricing from being on loyalty. And there's either a hesitation from a lot of retailers to offer that. Uh, and of course, to Trevor, to Brandon, to your points, private label is a good mechanism in which to offer that. But let, let's go a little deeper in this one too. I, I'm curious what everyone thinks about loyalty tactics other than discounts and price and where you think that's going. So for example, Gap announced their loyalty program that's cross-brand. So it's one unified program across Gap stores, Banana Republic, Athleta, and Old Navy. And one of the interesting options on there are using your points to generate charitable donations to charities that Great Gap works with. And that, uh, I believe Gap's comment when they announced this is that they heard their customers' voices on how they care about what the retailer's contribution to the world is. And that's one way that they're giving back. So what do you think about tactics like that as an enticement in a loyalty program? So one of the things you mentioned just now about social impact and brands really driving that is, I think, one of those areas that I'm seeing a lot of. In the startup world, for example, I'm working with a company called Sparrow that's doing exactly that. They're providing this API so that brands and retailers can really embed that capability into transactions and enable shoppers to be able to select charities of their choice and, and really have that social impact element really stand out with the brand. The other one that I think is key and we're probably not seeing enough of is personalization. And I would say hyper-personalization. This is along the lines of what maybe Netflix is doing or Spotify is doing, where the personalization, the relevance of the content for the customer is really what draws or, or defines that loyalty. I think that is an element that a lot of retailers and brands should be doing more of. And this is really to do with the data, data across all of the channels and pulling it all together and, and driving more than just segmentation, but going very hyper-personal in, in providing offers and experiences that are personal and relevant to the customer. And that really reduces the churn. And I think that's, that's an element that has a lot of potential. The advances in, in data and AI is making this even more real and more impactful than it has before. And then of course, the other element being the gamification aspect where the, that continuous engagement with that data enables Brian to be continuously keeping that connection alive. And add to those points, it's the relationship between the brand and the consumer is is paramount here. We all know that shipping or free shipping is a losing sum game in some aspects. Discounts or just loyalty points that result in lower price of discounts could be a losing sum as well. So it's that gamification, that experience, that exclusivity factor that if you're a member, if you're a member, you actually reap the benefits of being a member. So membership has its privileges was the old ad from American Express. I think that's very applicable in today's day and age where brands want to engage and retain their you know, top customers. 100% really believe in providing time well spent and just really creating, giving people what they want. You know, do you want a 20% off or do you want a soul cycle session? And I think that there's going to be a lot more experiential marketing opportunities opening up. Luxury brands have been doing it for hundreds of years. I think it's about time that it comes down the funnel so that everybody starts being able to get spoiled by these brands rather than spend the money on Facebook start spending the money on your customers. Candles, not that expensive for your birthday, especially if you buy 2 million of them. 
So Ricardo, you started off with talking about giving away to charity. I'm investing in this interesting company called Griffin. And what they do is as you spend money on Starbucks or a retailer, a certain portion of those funds end up getting invested in stock in that company. So I think there's some interesting dynamics here. I mean, it's really early stage and I just think it's fascinating, right? As, as opposed to offering you know, some type of discount that hurts your bottom line, you think about this as an executive, right? Like instead you build a loyal following that holds your stock, which increases your stock price, which is great for, you know, executive compensation, right? So that's one piece of it. But the second piece of it is this goes to a little bit towards the money side of the house and thinking of it as an appreciating asset, which also that asset is tied directly into the brand and brand building. And one of the things that they've been able to do, whereas Robinhood and a lot of these stock trading companies, they've been able to appeal to a young male audience. They've been able to unlock a younger female audience. And I think that's really kind of exciting thinking through on a demographic basis, you know, what are different needs from a loyalty perspective and what can be motivations to drive different behaviors that are both good for the corporation, but also great for the shopper and your customers. Yeah, that's a great point. And I find that example you have of the basically turning the loyalty into an investment opportunity is a really interesting one. What we're all really saying is loyalty has to move to, we can use a word like experiential, but I'm going to stay away from that for the moment and say instead that it just has to be about something other than discounts. We, we know that consumers love discounts that ultimately price does matter in the end, but it's not the only thing, right? You can get benefit and deliver value to the customer in a loyalty program without having to exclusively rely on discounts. The social aspect that the Gap is doing, the investment model that, that Trevor, you just mentioned, those are great examples. I, I'm going to bring up another example that I think is really useful is what about loyalty programs that are in some way related? Let's say that because I'm retailer A, knows they have customers with an affinity to retailer B, what if they both had some sort of connection between their loyalty programs? What could you do there that could add more value that customers would then therefore want to be part of both loyalty programs? A hundred percent. There's such a huge overlap across brands in the entire lifestyle. Being able to collab cross-collaborate and partner to be able to serve the customer, there's such an opportunity to be able to give customers something that actually delights them, whether or not that's a coffee or a bottle of bubbles or even a new product from a different brand that this brand thought that you might like, and it's non-competitive. I think being able to spend more money together keeps everybody's bottom line a lot more green. I love that point, Casey. And I think it helps tell a much richer story too from a marketing and engagement perspective too, because we're zooming out. We're not thinking about just about this very specific experience the customer is having in my store or on my e-commerce site. It is the bigger picture of what they experience every day of their lives, right? And that encompasses so many different things, so many different brands. There are so many opportunities. I think about the day in the life of, you know, your target customer, where does she go or he go? What are the different interfaces that they engage with, whether they're at the gym or on their commute or in a mall or, or sitting at home? There are more opportunities in the media perspective, too. So I think it just opens up so many more opportunities for co-creation and for innovation through collaboration. Yeah, I mean, right now we have two customers. One is evening wear and another one is hair jewelry. So it's like barrettes for, for grownups, right? Okay. And we also have a the hair salon in Saks. So all three clients, essentially, if you spend $250 on one website or you spend $50 on a website with one of the brands, then you get a blowout at one of the Saks salons, the salon project. And so they're collaborating because they're both clients. We want them to share customers. It's non-competitive if you're buying a dress, you're getting your hair done, you're buying shampoo, conditioner, or a barrette. Fact is, is $65 ponytails, $70 shampoo, and a $4,000 dress. It's the same customer. So I think that these marketplaces have really opened up another world where maybe you don't need to go into a multi-brand retailer as much. If more of the brands actually start connecting and leveraging each other 
And I think technology is going to be what's going to make that happen. So obviously echo the sentiments that we challenge our clients to open up their silos, to become more holistic, look at the customers, one channel, one experience. So now we can challenge these brands to service this customer with offerings and, and benefits and lifestyle enhancements. That this cross-brand, cross-company collaboration is a win-win, not only for the customer, for the brand. So why not capitalize that customer coming to your department store or the mall and provide those experiences they're seeking? Well, what that begins to do is it, it changes it from being more transactional as well to more emotional. And we really we're having this conversation on loyalty for about 30 minutes now. I noticed that we really haven't talked about what makes people loyal is that emotional aspect. And, and that's what turns you away from the, the discounts and, and gives you more elasticity with your pricing as well. Yeah, I love that point about the emotional connection, because isn't that really why the retailer wants to have this loyalty program and wants to have more customers in it is to create a better bond to the brand with the customer. And I think if you don't have that emotional connection, which in my opinion, price discount alone is not going to move the needle on, then how loyal are they really? Are you really just then growing a loyalty program for the sake of large numbers that you just have a lot of people in it, but are they really doing anything for you? Ultimately, your goal should be to get a better lifetime customer value out of every member that joins that loyalty program. One of my favorite loyalty program examples is Ulta Beauty. When I last looked in one of their annual reports, something on the order of, what is it, 75%, between 75 and 90% of their best customers are 98, 98 wow, it's even, even higher. 98. Yep coming from loyalty members. 98% yeah. of their transactions. That's unbelievable. Our, our loyalty. I think yep. that's Wow. That's just amazing. It's amazing. And and wh why? What do they get? Yeah, what does Ulta provide that makes them come back for more? That's really the question. What differentiates them versus Sephora? Well, the story behind Alta is, remember, they started as a discounter, and then they started their loyalty program, and people weren't allowed then to get discounts unless they joined the loyalty program. So they were trying to move upstream as an organization overall, and that was really from the beginning. And then now that they've been established and doing this for years, it, it still is that way. So if you want to get extra value, you want to get any kind of benefits, you have to be part of the program. And so they made their program really synonymous with their brand. And they get a, a variety of additional benefits. So there's there's services, there's other options, there's early access depending on on the type of customer you are. So a lot of extra. I think we were kind of going in that direction with this conversation at one point. But there's a, these. What can you deliver as a retailer that that's extra service or extra support of customers? Yeah is what an Alta is doing and some of the other retailers like a Nordstrom doing as well. Yeah, but I think it's interesting that it, again, it leads with discounts and value, right? And I, and I do think that that's a big part of the story, even though they're, it, it kind of detracts in lifetime value because you're reducing margin on a per transaction basis. Value, I think being the best at value, like we're trying to find clever ways to not discount and keep the margins up. And there are clever ways that people are doing it. But I think if you're great at the value story, that that enough is a success. And I think that some of the future around is we talk about marketplaces, but I think like one of the underlying technologies that's really fascinating right now is just what's going on in fintech and transaction processing and, and enabling SKU level data. We talk about retailers collaborating to provide discounting across them, but you could also with the death of the cookie, right? Start thinking about how you can share data, get better first party transaction data as to what consumers want and share that data as a as a value in your loyalty program and and understanding of the customer base. So I think there's a bunch of stuff that's gonna happen where retailers are gonna combine in interesting ways. And underlying a lot of this is that a lot of retailers will become banks and get into a fintech stack. And you see that as potentially an added service value to a loyalty program, for example. Absolutely, right? Because you're taking part of the margin of the transaction, but more right. importantly, you're connecting the all the collecting all the transaction data as well, both in store to online, all of it together. And so that data is huge. And once you have that data, you can start sharing it in interesting ways. So like Walmart and Sam's Club and all these different kind of properties that you own, but even in an extended way across your brands, like a Gap and Old Navy, Bath and Body Works, et cetera. But then maybe even cross, like you could create models where you could create some, hey, I've got this mobile number, which is Trevor's mobile number, and you ping it and Walmart tells you what Trevor likes to buy and shares that data in some interesting way. Now, I don't think retailers will naturally do that 
in some open fashion because they're very proprietary about that. But there's some interesting ways you could collaborate. The question is, of course, how do you get data? And we talked about AI, machine learning. Whenever I see a technology company with AI and ML, it's like, well, what's your data advantage, right? And I think that's going to be something that, that, that we should really be looking at, not just in the, the technology for analyzing the data, but how do retailers and brands get access to new data streams that give them a proprietary advantage? And I think there's going to be a lot that happens in the next five years around that. And you're going to see just interesting partnerships and acquisitions really just solely associated with data. Loyalty programs can't do it all. But if you think about loyalty and the loyalty concept at its core, and you stop thinking about it as points and discounts and all that, you actually can begin to collect that kind of information. So you use the loyalty, call it a club, call it an initiative or something, is if you give me your information, I promise to give you a better experience. Because then you have that. And there's loyalty technologies that are out there that have the ability to take in that information, allow you to action on any data point, any combination of data points, and they can collect it from any one of your technology partners and be like a backbone to connect everything. And they also have, some of them also have social aspects. So you can track people's behavior on social if you wanted to recognize the fact that they were talking about your brand somewhere, or if you wanted to bring in your influencers into the mix and, and do something special for them. So there, there are some that are out there that can actually make this. And loyalty is one of those places that can help. I'm not, I, I know there's a lot more to it. I'm not trying to oversimplify. But, but it, there is an opportunity to look at loyalty a little differently. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, certainly not the least of which is the elimination of this reliance on third-party data, like cookies that we all know are going to be going away and forcing a requirement for more first-party data, which obviously loyalty programs are a great source to derive that. But one of the things I can certainly expect to see much better results from over the next few years, and as we're thinking of 2025 and how retailers are going to leverage first-party data, be able to personalize better feed that back into loyalty programs to define those more unique experiences they can offer to the most loyal customers. I think that will happen. There are solutions today that I could point to that talk about how they're using, Trevor, to your point, AI and ML to pull together and, and recognize customers within a program, which let's take an extreme case where a customer signed up for a loyalty program with a retailer a year ago and then doesn't remember they signed up you know, did some interactions with the retailer and then maybe signs up again with a different email address. A retailer wants a system where the AI or the machine learning can actually figure out, you know what, this is the same customer. So let's merge that data and build an even better profile about that customer. I think, Aaron, you mentioned the social listening aspect and how you could also connect the dots between what those customers are saying in social. So you certainly expect a better understanding of the customer as your loyalty programs ask those customers to put in a link to their Twitter account or their Instagram so you do get an understanding of what kinds of things do they talk about. And if they mention your brand, then you can connect those dots back in to that profile that your loyalty program is building for this customer. Then let's say they're in the store. And I think we haven't talked too much about how the loyalty program can help you in store. So I'll throw in a couple of, of points there I'm thinking about. One is something that Trevor has talked about in this forum before and how you interact with merchandise in the store through sensors and, and other computer vision types of applications, if I can know something about that customer, or let's say it's not even directly manipulating the merchandise, let's not forget we have uh, ideally really well-trained staff in that store. And those frontline workers are engaging with this customer. And now let's give them access to some of the loyalty information, hopefully not in a creepy, mysterious way, but in a way that they <laughs> acknowledge to the customer that they're opening up this type of access in a manner that helps them better serve that customer. So now your loyalty program is feeding data into those store associates so they can better interact with the customer and hopefully provide an even larger transaction value out of that interaction. I think all of these things relate and I feel like we haven't gotten into a discussion yet, which I did want to get us to before the end of the hour here and how we can tie in loyalty in the future to what's happening in store as well as online. But I'll come back to that. All right. One other piece that, that also is if you get to know your, your loyal customers really well, how can you actually profile them in a way that you can then better target new customers? Right. That's and, right. 
that yeah, use that, that as a model that type right, of, to improve your targeting. Absolutely. Totally. I download the app. Now, you know, everywhere I go, right. You right. know, the things that I do, and now you can do lookalike type audiences. And again, really understand the behaviors that drive new client acquisition as well. One thing that makes me think about that, I'm going to ask this to everybody on stage here. If I were to ask you right now in today's loyalty programs, what retailer do you like that does successfully create that emotional connection through experiences or other tactics they provide within that loyalty program? REI, much to my wife's chagrin. <laughs> what specifically, Jeff, are you thinking that REI does well? Just, you know, just an ongoing, reasonably placed communication about what's happening, you know, based on season. So we're just finishing up the summer season, getting ready for, for ski season, things like that. It's not really a discount program, but it's a co-op model. So the more money you spend, the more you get back kind of a deal. It's just a good environment. And also, I think it's very interest-driven and it's a membership, right? And, and it, feels like, it feels like you're part of a community and it's part of a community that stands for something. And so there's an identity there that is much more than the very value-oriented discount play that I'm still a great advocate for. Yeah, not a lot of discount when you talk about REI, that's for sure. You know, it's the weirdest thing. I have been a Mac cosmetic customer since I saw RuPaul the first time when I was like 17 years old. And <laughs> they have a recycling program where you bring six empty containers and then you get to pick out something for free. It's the only thing I really recycle. And I've been doing it for over 20 years. I only recently started exploring other brands because I always got amazing service and I never bought eyeshadow, lipstick, or any of these things because I just recycled them. I have to say that's like the only loyalty program that has literally been in place for so many years that did definitely work on me. But I feel like there's so much more VIP experiences. I don't think it's a loyalty program at Equinox. I think I just have like VIP access to certain stuff and some other brands where you've just gone up a tier. But I don't think that, you know, there's no points or anything like that, you know? That's loyalty though. Yeah, that's the absolute. Yeah, I mean, they're just very unstructured. But it still gives you that v yeah. that VIP status. So in, in a sense, the program is working in that it makes you feel like you're getting some special value out of it. Exactly. I mean, I know that they're done very manually. You have to remind them who you are. <laughs> there's a case for how to but uh, a lot of times painful <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of opportunity in those those types of experiences especially now when people are fighting for business we just opened up the salon on a sunday for somebody almost any hair salon that's closed will literally open up their doors for business but somebody felt like a vip for the day they're like oh, you got me a hair appointment you're kidding me you know, and it's just like everybody wants business. I think it's just a matter of like starting to operationalize these things a little bit more to recognize that customer and and anticipate what they would like. The other one that I'm very fascinated about, I'm sure a lot of people are, is Patagonia. Patagonia primarily uses their social impact platform and the environment really to, to drive that loyal fan base. And I think that that's a really, to me, a powerful example. Oh, just a few, a few uh, brands I want to call out. And uh, we, Starbucks is, is an underrated app. They integrated their payments and their loyalty program within the app itself. At the surface, it's a pretty straightforward transactional based system where you get points for your purchases, you can redeem them. There's a lot of gamification as well, like bingo and everything else. Another underrated one is, I think, Marriott from a hospitality standpoint, it gives you a lot of access to uh, obviously hotel points, but also premium rooms and other experiences. And also interesting how, what Uber has done, how they pivoted during the pandemic to Uber Eats model, if you weren't actually going anywhere and how you can accumulate points and Uber cash and everything else. So there are unique and interesting things brands could do that pivot during challenging times and Uber is, Uber is one of them. If I broaden it even to luxury as well, right? Luxury, in, in some ways I would describe this as an advantage that you have the ability to use extended products as a way to create more brand loyalty. I mean, I could argue that, uh, uh, you know, brands like Apple, for example, are exceptionally good at that by creating other products that loyal fans automatically want. And that just deepens the brand loyalty once they acquire those additional products. And that's an example of where you don't even need a specific loyalty program. You just have to do things that create loyalty 
through, let's broadly call it trust and authenticity of your brand with customers. There are plenty of studies that come out that keep reporting how Gen Z is much more willing to switch brands and maybe don't care so much about the traditional brands that used to engender that kind of intense brand loyalty as previous generations did. So there are definite things that can be done there, additional experiences that can be offered to loyalty members. That's another area where we just generate even more affinity and it becomes a matter of, of trust, I would argue, because those experiences, you know, customers take them on because they trust the brand has curated a valuable experience. And because that experience has value, that's why they're going to stick with it and keep coming back more, more and more to the brand. The way that data has just been so abused and we've just lost a lot of trust and there's so much regulation and all of these different things are changing so fast. Once the consumer can hold and use their data, they don't need to be paid for it. They just want value for it. Nobody's going to get rich by Facebook giving you a quarter of a, a quarter of a percent of a penny for every single time your data is like used. I think that it's just going to end up compliance is just a lot easier if you're just dealing with individuals rather than doing all of this stuff yeah, I, behind I the scenes. There's just more context. You have somebody saying, I'm here. I want to engage. I'll tell you everything about me. Just provide me service. Help me save time. Help me have a better time. Help me find the right product. Show me something new. Surprise me. You know, the whole entire concierge side of retail is just, it's absolutely booming right now. I mean, I have so many friends that are, just have concierge businesses. They're overbooked. They're slammed. They're hiring like crazy. And they're doing so much stuff other than booking a restaurant or booking a trip. I don't feel that one strategy is going to be right for all of retail. We all shop across different, whether or not you're at Amazon or Target or Gap or Walmart or Chanel. We are very dynamic individuals. So I think everybody will have a bit of a difference, but I think ecosystems is the way to go. And it's going to come down to where do you have access to, to product, but you get the best experience. And marketplaces, they're popping up like crazy right now. It's as if they never, they haven't been existed in the last 15 years. They're, everybody has a new marketplace open with a point of view. I've never been able to buy so much exclusive product in so many places online in my life. But again, that doesn't help a Gen Z or an alpha connect with the brand and people who are used to shopping with these brands, they're getting worse service than they've ever had in yeah. their life. So I think that this is the race that's on for like from now until 2025. It's I think it's going to be more about personalization, customization, finding value for data and earning that. Yeah, it's almost comes down to a, a brand versus marketplace kind of mentality around loyalty, right? Because to your point, if I can get that same product at 20 different places and 19 of them are a marketplace, where's my loyalty going to as the consumer? Is it going to the brand or the marketplace? Is it going to the person that sold it to me because they happened to have it at the right time, at the right place, at the right moment that I was looking for it? Or is it intrinsic loyalty to the actual brand of the product that I bought? It's much clearer, right? If you buy it direct from the brand, whether it's in their store, their website, whether mobile app, wherever. <laughs> You interact with them. It's much clearer that way. If anything, I might even go back and say, if I'm Gen Z, then I probably have gotten used to shopping around and finding that best place to buy item XYZ from. And therefore my loyalty is really to the process, right? Not so much to the brand and no loyalty program can change that in inherently unless it's doing something to improve the experience, whether the experience is in the store because I interacted with some, a person at the store who helped me understand why this is actually the item that the most important item that I really want to get. And it's the one that I want to buy versus anything else. And therefore now my loyalty might go not just to the store's brand, but maybe even to that store associate. I'm going to seek them out later. That's an experience that helped build some of that loyalty versus just a click through buy now button on a marketplace. Yeah. I'm not even convinced we're going to be continue using the word loyalty. I mean, I think it's it's been diluted. I don't, I, I'd like to see more customer retention costs and, and retention, spoiling your customers versus acquisition. So instead of acquisition and LTV, I'd like to see, you know, retention and customer 
retention costs. Like how much are you willing to spend on a customer that spends a thousand dollars a year with you or $500,000 a year with you? What are you willing to spend to give something to that customer to make a meaningful impact and and build brand equity, not just a transaction. Casey, I, I love what you're saying. We, one of our clients, actually it's a grocer, a higher end grocer. They're doing exactly that. I mean, they're looking, their, their loyalty strategy is about putting a value on that particular customer and then working to figure out, okay, if I can, if it's $50, $100, $200, whatever it is that I, I can spend to keep this person, what am I going to deliver to them uniquely when they come and shop? And I'm like, why is a new customer worth more than me? I've been with you for 10 years. Like, I want the same deal. And I'll fight that for like two weeks if I have to until I get the deal for new customers. <laughs> but I just feel like I should have been offered as a loyal customer who's already giving you money and staying. Spoil me. I will tell people and more people will sign up because you're spoiling your customers and there's long-term value. Like if I stay loyal, I'm continually rewarded rather than I'm rewarded by switching every six months or every 12 months or chasing the next new deal. Reward me for staying. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, this is going to be fascinating to, to compare the numbers each year to see how this changes and to see how different loyalty programs evolve. I think that's what makes this such an interesting topic is because of how it impacts how retailers engage with their customers and how retailers measure that engagement. I think Casey, you had mentioned some interesting points earlier about which sort of metrics might be more meaningful if once you are looking at loyalty versus just pure transactional relationships. And I think that's going to evolve as well as we look to the next few years and how retailers look at loyal customers. I'm a big proponent of putting more emphasis on lifetime customer value. And obviously loyalty programs are intended to drive a lot of that increased value and increased relationship, increased spend. And we know that the most successful loyalty programs tend to do that. They create an environment where those loyalty members, they spend more with the retailer, particularly when those are fee-based loyalty programs that deliver a lot of additional value beyond just discounts and things of that sort. Now, we know that those types of programs really do have an impact and benefit for the retailer. And some of the good examples that we mentioned, Jeff had a good example with REI. We talked about Ulta. Interesting that we all managed to avoid talking about Amazon Prime, which in some ways is the ultimate loyalty program. But the results for that were pretty obvious to see how that's come about. Walmart has had interesting results and honestly was surprised with the numbers we heard over the past year of how many folks have signed up for Walmart Plus, but that seems to be working for them. So I think there's definitely lots of room for change in loyalty programs. I think there's lots of room for new types of tactics and experiences to be built. I think we probably all agreed through this session that it, it's about more than just pricing and discounts, that the best programs develop community, they develop trust with the customer, they use experiences to drive that relationship and that those tend to be the ones that are most well received by customers. So Aaron, I want to give you one more opportunity if there's any kind of closing comments that you'd like to make that maybe something we didn't cover in loyalty programs that you think is really worth mentioning here at this point. Wow, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think we I think we covered a lot of the things that are important to cover. The way we look at it is it's all about the collecting of the data and using the data well. So to a lot of the points that Casey and others were making, it's how to build a better experience. And then again, that goes to that. It, that's the foundation of what will create those emotional bonds. And that's what you need to get that stickiness. That's what you need to get somebody to actually start advocating for you. So, you know, we're just hoping that more and more organizations are able to collect that data and be able to have it in a format that they can use. And I think that that's a, a real core challenge. The good news is there's technology out there to help them. Yeah. It, in the end, it is all about the data and what, what you can do with that data as the retailer to help your business and help improve that relationship with the customer. So I think on that note, we're going to go ahead and close out the room. Thank everybody up on the stage. Thank the speakers. I know a couple of our speakers had to drop for other commitments. 
Aaron, I want to thank you for joining us this week as our loyalty expert and special guest. And I really appreciate you spending the time with us here. I hope you'll come back and join us again in the future. Thank you so much. This was a ton of fun. I've always been in the audience, so I feel like I've been a part of it for a long time, but thanks for having me on stage. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks everyone for joining us and have a great weekend. Bye everyone. Welcome back, Loyal Retail Razor Show listeners. We hope you enjoyed our panel of experts from that Clubhouse session. So let's change things up a bit. Usually this is the part where we either bring back one of our amazing Clubhouse guests for a deeper dive into topics we didn't get into in Clubhouse or summarize what the group talked about and give a few extra bits of info and our keen opinions on what was covered. But, you know, we're not just moderators. So this time, we're not going to do either of those things. Wait, we're not? Oh, wait, so so what? We're going off script, are we? Okay, Casey, what exactly are we going to do instead? Well, like, we're, let's just shake it up a little bit. Since we recorded that session, there have been some pretty cool developments in new tech that could be the greatest thing to happen to loyalty since, well, loyalty. And you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we need to talk uh -oh. about Web3, NFTs, and crypto. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll bite into this one. Let, let's do it. Let's dive into those topics. So if you're listening right now, you're probably saying to yourself, wait a minute, what just happened? Did I jump to another episode of the podcast and not realize it? What happened here? When did this become the pod on Web3 NFTs and crypto, right? <laughs> Since I went headfirst. <laughs> we, we are so off script here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> We've got your backs on this one. Turns out if we look into the crystal ball, or just go back and listen to our 2022 top 10 predictions episode, we'll see that NFTs in Web3 stand to change a lot about loyalty. Okay, tell us more, Casey. Tell us more. So loyalty programs have traditionally, it's just been an email segmentation. <laughs> <laughs> right? And, yeah. you know, you get 20% off for the first time you sign up for a newsletter. Then if you join the loyalty program, you'll get another coupon. But it's still better to sign up with one of our other email addresses and get the initial coupon. You know, I think the consumer has caught on to a lot of these accounts and there's nothing new in anybody's newsletter. <laughs> there's that too. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing really new in anybody's newsletter. So Web3 just kind of, you know, hidden with what are some use cases and some utility for NFTs and retailers have been looking at the NFTs and really kind of diving into what are some great utilities for it and loyalty has definitely stood out. I see a lot of the platforms that are coming out of Web3 SaaS platforms are focused on loyalty programs and looking to sell their software to brands. These are a new way to essentially manage those members and loyalty programs a lot easier and a lot more interestingly than just an email with a coupon. So some of the things that we've been looking at, and I've been talking to a lot of companies in the blockchain lately and working with commerce and, and really focused on what's the utility of an NFT to a brand and how can that impact loyalty? And we're seeing rise in these conversations about gated commerce and having this unlockable content if you're an NFT holder. And how do you engage in that community, right? So we're taking that email list and we're turning it into a, a Discord community with two-way communication. Right, right. Which, is, which is new, definitely. Which is new. And it's a heck of a lot less expensive. And there's not a big, you know, you're not going necessarily into the spam box, but you have to be present. Otherwise, the messages will just pass you by. Go, go right over you, yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, so right. you really have to build really interesting content and start understanding what, what matters to your customers. And I think that that's the first step is one, being able to listen to your customers, see what people are engaging with in more of like real time and open up the communication. If you offer something terrible or silly, you immediately know if your customers think that it's silly <laughs> yeah, or doesn't provide any value. So you right. can go ahead and iterate. So one of the things that I'm really intrigued with is, you know, more brands are launching their first NFT and it's typically going back to a charity collaboration with a great artist, typically run by an agency for the project or the initiative, but there isn't a lot of utility yet. So with gated commerce, essentially, if you are an NFT holder 
of, let's say, a mutilated ape or a doodle. I'm a big fan of doodles. You authorize your wallet on the website. And if you are a holder, you go in to unlock a completely new type of e-commerce experience, whether or not that's counting for special pricing, access to products that are not available for the general public, and even being able to manage in-person VIP events with having, you know, multiple tiers based off of the NFT holders. You can go ahead and create different levels of an NFT. And this I think is a little bit more interesting than email because you can actually drive business off of other people's loyalty programs or community. So it doesn't have to just be the brand's NFT that they release to their customers, but you can start accepting other communities and other brands in. One of the companies doing this right now is SmartTook. And I think it's a really interesting value proposition to connect loyalty programs across brands. Yeah, I think that's pretty, pretty clever, right? To bring in sort of adjacent communities, right? That might not normally be either a part of your brand community or might not normally be part of your customer base. So you, you can use the loyalty program kind of two ways, right? You're, you're sort of rewarding the people who are your loyal base, but you're giving them a connection to a new community that they might be interested in because there's some adjacent value to that, let's call it secondary brand. So I, I think that's a really cool way of expanding a loyalty program. If I kind of think back to where, where you started going down this road here. First, you've got this great two-way communication where most loyalty programs before, and in fact, probably the majority of things we talked about, even in the Clubhouse session, were really all one-way communication, right? It's like you just said, it's emails going out to a customer base. So even if they're a fan base, what are you generating with those emails? What are you doing other than giving them special offers or discounts? And this way with Web3 and NFTs, you're creating a really cool gated way to provide access to something that's totally unique. And I think one, and to me, this isn't even a new lesson to be learned, right? In loyalty is that if you create enough intrigue and uniqueness, right? And you, you make those existing customers into advocates of your brand because now they've seen something special, right? They're getting that special treatment from being your customer. And now that encourages them to want to tell people about it because who doesn't want to share? Who doesn't want to share that you had this really cool, unique access to something that nobody else was able to get to if you're not a loyal customer. So now you've got the two-way interaction with your loyal customers. You've got a community to community communication. You're leveraging adjacent communities. You've got uniqueness and intrigue by access to special events that are gated, or, or it doesn't even have to be an event. It could just be special products that you otherwise couldn't get access to. Exactly. So that's more intrinsic value for that, for that customer. So these are all things that you just can't get from a one-way loyalty program relationship in the old days of like last year. <laughs> and it keeps people engaged, right? Like, I mean, everybody wants their loyalty commute, like their loyalty program to produce monthly reoccurring sales. I mean, I think that that's overall the goal, but right. that's you want a that lot. lifetime customer value. Right. Yep, increase that lifetime customer value, but that's a lot of content and value that you need to figure out how to provide every single month or quarterly and really decide how are you going to move the needle if the only benefit is to one brand. And I think that this is kind of the most interesting piece is, I mean, we used to have wallets filled with plastic loyalty cards that we had to swipe and they were oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where yeah way too many. Way too many. Way too many to the point where like, I'm not carrying a secondary wallet to get like 5% off. Like I'm going to keep right. dollar 25. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, not worth that's it. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but being able to do some types of collaborations and being able to have an NFT that actually holders are using and maintaining and continuing to be active with on a regular basis, whether or not they're with your brand, shopping with your brand today or tomorrow. You have an activated yeah, member. That's right. Because it's able to be used at multiple locations. And I think right. that that's super strong and it wouldn't have been able to be managed very well without an NFT. Yeah. In the end, all of this is changing our definition of that loyal customer. And I don't often hear too many people talk about this, but I'm, I'm going to bring it up here. So to me, there's a difference between a loyal customer and an extremely loyal customer. Loyal customers, you know, they join your loyalty program, they shop with you, but it's the extremely loyal customers that they don't just shop with you and 
repeat buy in some cases, right? If it's a consumable item, the same item over and over again, they're the ones that are telling everyone what they're buying and why they're buying it and why they love your brand. The loyal customers that you're just on their go-to list. You're on their list of go-to places to shop at, but that doesn't mean that they're going to keep buying your new products that you introduce just because they're loyal. Loyal customers yeah. say, oh, look, you, the brand, my, one of my favorite brands introduced a new product. I wonder what that's like compared to something I've seen from another brand. But your extremely loyal customers say, oh, I got to have that. That's something new. I got to have that. 100%. And if you've tied that to an NFT and you've given it special access to something, then wow, now you've really got somebody who's not only engaged with you and wanting more and telling more people and bringing them into the brand. I mean, they're, they're just with you for life at that point. Exactly. And I think that being able to really understand how to separate these benefits and the values, because the person that would come in and shop with me every other Friday who was one of my loyal customers and one of the brand's top loyal customers, they didn't have a loyalty. They didn't, weren't in the loyalty program because loyalty perks didn't work on designer clothing. It was only for downstairs. Yeah. So, you know, I think that there's this re really great opportunity to be able to separate these in a way that it's not an email address because a lot of the, the top 10% 15% of shoppers don't want to share their email address. They're not getting a coupon or a discount on the product they buy anyway because loyalty points are not always usable on all products that are sold at the brand. Right. And so this used to be two different ways to manage loyalty programs and to grow them. And now I feel so much easier to be able to say this entity goes to these customers, unlocks these value adds, it's private. We're not emailing them. We, we are creating consistent value. And then you have your core loyalty programs where you're focused on acquisition and get driving that LTV up and getting that brand experience out there and being able to do it a lot easier, manage 79 million people, right? Like and, and more personalized. a lot right? about the sheer number of people that these brands email on a weekly basis. <laughs> Right, and the right. sheer number of shoppers that are included in these loyalty programs or groups and how we segment, we're not segmenting a few hundred people. It's millions of people are going right. in segments. And I think it can be very interesting on being able to manage that in an instant by having connected technology versus a barcode, a QR code, an email address, a coupon code. Like we don't, we're not going to need coupon codes anymore. Yeah. But, and, and, and it'll still be personalized, right? So you still have a consumer who feels like this is a personalized relationship. Yeah. I mean, I just went to an event during NFT NYC and there was a owner of a brand on stage. They just released their first NFTs for their VIP customers. And she said, I will never pay for MailChimp again. I think that's yeah. a pretty strong comment. That's a pretty strong comment. That by implementing even the first stage of changing their loyalty program and how they're engaging with customers over into NFTs and Discord literally has an entire brand moving off of email marketing platform. I'm like, I don't know how that's going to scale. I don't know if Bloomingdale's or, or Nike or Gap is necessarily going to move off of email. But I think it provides a really interesting conversation as more of these blockchains come out that have lazy minting and the cost of minting or gas fees decreases to be able to run in the millions without costing the brand a lot of money. Yeah. I think it could be really interesting. I, I have to say that email marketing platforms need to watch out. Yeah. Something's happening. I think because of what you were just describing, we're going to, we're likely to see this come through stronger through luxury brands first before it kind of moves down market to bigger and broader brands. But I think the luxury brands are going to really pioneer this and kind of set the standard for how it's done um, and, and really show every other brand the possibilities of what you can do with this technology to build stronger loyalty. It's an acquisition strategy as well as creating this new segment and be able to create like completely new brand experiences, whether yeah. or not it's member access and, or a coupon or special pricing. It's, it's in your face, exactly. like what is on the yeah. other side? And it's and not just a discount. It's not, and maybe it's not just a discount. You don't know what it is until you have one. And how do you get one? 
and and it could adjust how whether or not more consumers are going to do some more brand switching as more technology is deployed that increases the customer experience, the brand experience, increases value, cuts down on poor communication or one-way communication that just kind of right. stale. I mean, I think we can all agree that email marketing is a bit stale. It works. It drives the revenue. I don't know if right. we have all our eggs in that basket anymore, but for all means, you know, don't turn it off until you've actually built your community somewhere. But I think it could definitely be a game changer because you can reload NFTs. You don't need to yeah. email these people six times a, a week. To them <laughs> new. Yeah. You have to right. figure out one right. really, really great thing to do. And it's not necessarily going to have to be only your brand because you can amplify. Right. Something yeah, going back to that brand adjacent brands. Yeah. That is because you're a loyal exactly. member at another brand. And I think that this is, could be really compelling, especially for brands to mix that department store strategy. Yeah. Where we have a customer that shops across multiple brands. They're coming into a multi-brand retailer to be able to have this greater value of access to product and, and use their loyalty points across multiple brands. Having NFTs cross brands with their loyalty programs is going to be pretty disruptive. I agree. Which goes back to why we had it on our top 2022 predictions list, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Casey, that probably means it's a good time for us to call it a show. What do you think? <laughs> I think so. We shook it up. I think so. Going off scripts. It's always, it's always nice to kind of just sit and sit around and chat with you, Ricardo. I <laughs> That's right. That's like right. One of my best over yep. the last year. And I feel that, you know, we spend so much time chit-chatting with other people. It's always nice just to have a chit-chat together. Just between us. Exactly. Exactly. We'll hope that the listeners will let us know if they enjoyed our little off script moment for this episode. We'll see what happens next time. See what we do to change things up that time. But on that note, Casey, I think we will call this one a wrap. We're out. If you enjoy our show, please consider giving us that special five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Smash that subscribe button in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a minute. Want to know more about what we talked about today? Take a look at the show notes for handy links and more deets. I'm your co-host, Casey Golden. And if you'd like to learn more about us, follow us on Twitter at KCC Golden and Ricardo underscore Belmar, or find us on LinkedIn. Be sure and follow the show on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Retail Razor and on our YouTube channel for videos of each episode and some bonus content. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar. Thanks for joining us. And remember, there's never been a better time to be in retail if you cut through the clutter. Until next time, this is the Retail Razor Show.